It, it is never good for a preacher on Saturday night to watch the weather in the news, uh, especially when it's uh, bad conditions. Uh, they, they talked about all the uh, ice storms that's going to be in northwest Arkansas and maybe in the River Valley. And I told Angie, I said, I wish he hadn't said maybe in the River Valley. Uh, because sometimes some, there are some church people when they just hear that, they automatically, well, I can't go to church tomorrow. I'm glad you came to church. Yeah, thanks for being here. God bless you. It's going to be a great day. I'm preaching a series on praise the Lord, and I'm digging it, man. I'm, I'm loving to praise the Lord. A uh, preacher friend of mine who just happens to be real close by, in fact, his church is right across the little creek over here. Okay, Harvest Time. Marty, I, I visited with Marty last week, and, and he asked me what I was preaching. I said, dude, I'm preaching this series on praise the Lord. And uh, he just kind of laughed, and he says, hey, if, if, if you need some help teaching your people how to do it, I'll send a crew over to help, you know? <laughs> I said, well, thanks, buddy. appreciate that. Our key verse is, uh, is Psalm 150, verse 6. Let's say it out loud together, okay? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all right? We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We come into his courts and we give him praise. He is worthy to receive our praise today and we praise the name of the Lord. Uh, most of the sermons that I'm preaching and will be preaching from uh, occur from the book of Psalms and the book of Revelation. Those are the, the two primary sources that we have in the Bible that teach us about praising the Lord. However, I want to tell you that praise is found throughout the Bible. We are told throughout the Word of God to give praise and to declare praise to the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord. And in my preaching on Wednesday nights, when I speak on Wednesday nights, I've been preaching out of the book of 1 Peter. And I preached this past week out of the book of 1 Peter, and I was rereading the entire book, and I was amazed at the number of times that Peter talks about praising the Lord. In fact, one of those is found in chapter 2, and I thought, you know what, I'm just, I've got to preach this sermon on Sunday morning about praising the Lord. And it is amazing how God works, uh, because he was speaking to Miss Angie's heart about this same passage. So let me read to you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and then we're going to skip down to verse number 9. Here's what verse 5 says. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now drop down to verse 9. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take the words that we have read and speak them into our hearts. Lord, as I try to speak them on the outside, would your Holy Spirit speak them into our very souls? 
We love you. We're so glad to be here. And I pray that you would speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, are you ready? Because I'm just going to dive right into the message, all right? We're just going to jump right in today. I've got two main points. And the first, I like, when I count to two, I like to do it like this. I've got two main points. And the first talks about our identity. That is who we are. Who we are. So I ask you, who are you? Uh, suppose you're on an airplane or maybe in a doctor's office and someone sits down beside you and they strike up a conversation and they ask you, who are you? you you've been asked that before, aren't you? Tell, tell me something about yourself. Well, when someone does that, how do you respond? Okay. Well, typically the way most of us will respond is by maybe giving our name and where we're from and maybe something about our family. You with me? Is that what you do? Typically, this is what I do. I say, well, I'm Will Harmon. I, I live in Fort Smith, but I'm really from Texas. <laughs> got to th- That's a great conversation piece. You know, you got to throw that in. Uh, I, I, I pastor Kavanaugh Church, and I have a beautiful wife. Okay? A beautiful wife, and I have three amazing kids. And I start bragging on my kids, you know. I say, my oldest one, Whitney, she, she, uh, she virtually runs the Dillard's Corporation. I mean, there's Bill Dillard 2 and Bill Dillard 3. They call them BD2, BD3. And then there's Whitney right there. My, my middle daughter, Callie, she's at Baylor. She's a three-time state, 300-meter uh, hurdle champion. Got to throw that in. Yeah, y'all are sick of me bragging about my kids. And then there's Zane, the senior in high school that is a Greenwood High School Bulldog state champion football player. And then people don't talk to me after that. When it, you know, really, that, that's what we do. That's how we, res- we respond. When we think of our identity, it, it is in those terms. Who we are, where we live, what kind of family we have, what we do for a living. But very seldom do we ever consider who we really are, who we are in Christ. You see, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, everything changes. You become a brand new person. God puts his DNA inside of you. And so what Peter does, he reminds us of who we really are in Jesus Christ. We have God's DNA flowing through our veins. And so he gives us the seven traits of God's DNA. This is who we really are. You need to write this down, okay? So here we are. Number one, this is who we are. We are living stones in a spiritual house. Verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You're being built into the house of God, the temple of God. Now, church, I've I've told you many times, and we all realize that the church is not the building. Okay, We just have the building so that we can meet in the building. The church is really you. And that's what he is saying. You are a part of God's building. He's using an analogy of a building or a temple. And he is saying that you are a part of that building that God is building the kingdom of God. You are a stone in the building of God. Now, the the walls of this building are block walls, okay? 
and they're, they're, they're cemented together, they're, they're bound together with mortar, and if you start chipping away at some of these middle blocks and knocking the blocks out, sooner or later, what's going to happen? I mean, the whole building's going to come tumbling down. Because every block is essential. It, it pay, plays a part in holding up the building of God. And, and visually, that's what God is saying we are. We are the stones that hold together the building of God. We are mortared together by the Holy Spirit of God, and we are making the holy temple of God. But not are we just stones. We are living stones. And we are living stones that be, are being fitted together by the Holy Spirit of God into a house or a temple, the dwelling by God's Spirit. So when you come to Christ, believing in Him for salvation, you come into the church. He takes you a living stone, and, and He mortars you together with other believers. You can't separate the two. You're a living stone in the building of God. Woo! Now, y'all don't look too excited about that, but it, that's awesome, man. That's really who we are. William Barclay, the great commentary, tells a story about the king of Sparta who was talking to a visiting dignitary. The king was boasting about the mighty walls of Sparta. He stood on a high vantage point and he said to the dignitary, See the walls of Sparta. Just one problem the dignitary saw no walls. Because there were no walls. And so he said to the king, well, there aren't any walls. What are you talking about? To which the king replied, pointing to his soldiers and his bodyguards, these are the walls of Sparta, each man a stone. Boy, that's a, that's a Coach Jones speech right there, man. That's a, really? Woo, yeah. That's who you are. You are a living stone in the building of God. So who are you? I'm a living stone in God's building. Number two, second DNA. You are a holy and a royal priesthood. Verse five, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse nine, but you are a royal priesthood. So here's the visual. We are living stones that are the building blocks of a spiritual house or temple where God dwells by his Holy Spirit. And we are also the priests who serve in that temple. Now, by the way, all of these titles that are being given here, God had already given to his Old Testament people of Israel. These titles reflect the role that God intended his people to play in bringing salvation to the world. But they are applicable to those of us in Jesus Christ, the church. So we are a royal and holy priesthood. Or let me say it like this. There is royalty in your veins. Okay, There's royalty in your veins. In Christ, we are kings and we are priests. Now, remember Moses' brother Aaron? He was the very first priest. And Aaron's descendants were all priests by birthright. They were born into that lineage. So how is it that we have become priests? Well, we have been born again. 
We have been born into the family of God. Therefore, we have been grafted in as priests before the Lord. And verse 5 tells us because we are priests, we can draw near to the throne of God and we can actually offer spiritual sacrifices. That means that we don't have to stand back and simply be a spectator. We can get right in the middle of it. And we can come right before the throne of God's grace and we can offer spiritual sacrifices. When we, when we see ourselves as a priesthood of believers, the focus really is not so much on the privilege as it is the responsibility. And there is a responsibility that comes along with being a priest. The emphasis is on what we are to do together as the people of God. We are to serve God and we are to serve others. That's what a priest does. You know what? That's what a New Testament believer does. That's why you need to be here in the family of God. It's your job to serve God and to serve others. Also, we represent God to others in witness, and we represent others to God through prayer. So, who are we? We're living stones in a spiritual house. Number two, we are a holy and royal priesthood. The third trait of our DNA is found also in verse 9. We are a chosen people. Literally, that's what the verse says. You are a chosen people. We are called out. We have been chosen by God. We have been elected by Him to fulfill His purpose in our world. Now, I don't know if you watch these shows. I, I, I don't watch them anymore, but they started years ago. and I simply call them competition shows. It all started with American Idol. Huh? And uh, there, now there's The Voice. There's, there's, there's a, a show in, in titled, entitled America's Got Talent. It's going into its 13th season. Y'all, y'all watch anybody watch America's Got Talent? Okay, some some of you do. Uh, it, it's interesting. They're they're starting season 13, and they're they're going around to these cities, these these host city sites, where you can try out. And so you audition in front of a little panel, and if they see that you got talent, then then you can come and be on the the real show. They're not coming to Fort Smith. I think Houston's probably the, the, the closest city that they come to. But anyway, the, you know, the, and there, there are a lot of people, listen to me, there are, sometimes they show little clips of people trying out at these, these, these tryouts. A lot of people think they got talent. They ain't got no talent. I don't know who's been lying to them, but they really, they, they, you know, they can't sing, they can't do, they, they're very untalented, but they think they are. However, the ones that really do have talent, they, they get to go to the big show, and you know the, the, the goal is to make it to Las Vegas and to, to be chosen as the most talented person in America. And when someone is chosen that, when they win and they are recognized as someone who has talent, that they're overwhelmed. They were cho- I've got talent. Friends? That may be something, but that is nothing compared to God choosing us, okay? We are in the family of God because God chose us, and it's not because we have talent, not at all. God looked down on us, and he saw that we had absolutely nothing to bring to the table. We were lost. 
We were dead in our trespasses and sins, yet he chose us. Never forget that you've been chosen by God. And for the person that is here today that's just been beating themselves up, and you look in a mirror and all you see is, is bad, and all you see is the negative, and you're living a life of depression, let me tell you, stop looking at yourself that way. You are special. God chose you. And God's DNA is inside of you. You are a chosen people. Number four, you're a holy nation. Literally, that's what he said in verse 9. You are a holy nation. The word nation means ethnic group. So believers, Christians, are a spiritual ethnic group. We are holy. I'll say it again because you need to say amen to that. We are holy. We are separate. We are distinct. In fact, the word nation speaks of our unity as the people of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm proud to be an American. I am so thankful that I was born and raised in this wonderful country. And part of the Pledge of Allegiance that we say says, we are one nation under God, indivisible. And I do know from reading history that that was the dream of our forefathers. That we be one nation under God and that we be indivisible. But you know what? In reality, it doesn't appear that everyone in our nation feels that way. Okay, I'll leave it at that. But you know what? For the church, it is a different story. We are absolutely one spiritual nation under God. God spread us among the nations of the earth, and as such, as the nation of God, we are indivisible. That's who we are. We're the nation of God. Number five, we are a people who belong to God. And quite literally, again, that's what it says in verse 9, but you are a people belonging to God. How do you know that you belong to God? Well, it comes when you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. When you place your faith and your trust in Jesus, you receive the gift of eternal life. And after that, your life belongs to God. You are His people. You are His person. You belong to God. I like the old King James translation of this. It says, King James, you are a peculiar people. I like that. I've known a lot of peculiar people in churches. But that's the old English way of saying you are a purchased people. God bought us. We were on the slave market of sin, and God bought us with the blood of his own son. And therefore, we belong to him. Now, in ancient days, kings who were very wealthy and who owned a whole lot of stuff would usually pick something out as their prized possession. And they would hold that one thing up above all their other wealth. Well, I'm here to tell you, God is the owner of the entire universe, but his most prized possession is you, his people, the redeemed. Number six, who are we in Jesus? Our DNA says that we are the people of God. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now 
you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We who were once nobodies have now become somebodies through the mercy of God. And so I want to ask you again, do you belong to Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? Have you received this mercy that Peter is talking about? Are you a part of the people of God? It's something to say, I'm a part of the people of God. I'm a part of the body of Christ. I'm a part of the church. That's why church membership is so important. When we are saved, we automatically become a member of the invisible church of all generations around the globe. And because that is true, God wants us to plant ourselves in a local congregation. And God wants us to grow some really deep roots in a local church with other believers who are the people of God. Because it's only in a church like this church that we can really serve God and fulfill the calling that God has placed on our life. What is our job as a priest? It is to serve God and to serve others. And God has given every one of us at least one spiritual gift. But that spiritual gift can only be used within the context of a church. So you need to be a part of a local congregation. And if it's not Kavanaugh, your church for life, you need to find a church that you can get plugged into. We'd love to have you here. So see Jason right after the service, and he'll tell you about the next Connect class that we'll have, and you can become a member here at Kavanaugh Church. So that's who we are when it comes to God. But who are we with respect to the world? Well, Peter tells us, number seven, this is the last DNA, number seven, who are we in terms of the world? We are aliens and strangers in this world. I love verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls. So we're aliens. Other translations use the word foreigners. It describes a person living or visiting in a foreign country where they have no rights of citizenship. And he's saying that's who we are. We're aliens to this world. And then he calls us strangers, or again, some translations use the word exiles. That describes people staying temporarily in a country which is not their permanent home. And again, he is saying that about believers on planet Earth. We really don't have citizenship here. This is not our permanent home. We're strangers here. We're aliens. We're exiles. Now, about this time last year, Angie and I flew to the Philippines to see Callie on a missionary trip. And so when we flew into the Philippines and landed there, the very first thing that happened when we stepped soil or foot on their soil is I got ripped off. <laughs> I mean, I got, I got took to the cleaners. The, 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 they, you know, they were standing there. All the taxi cab drivers, people were standing there, and they saw, there's a stupid American right there. I got him. I got him. And so they, they, they sent this sweet little uh, girl over 
uh, you know, who's real nice and, oh, sir, sir, please, please, can I take you to your hotel, please, please? And, you know, just like a sucker, I fell right into her palms, you know, and, and she, she quadruple charged me. You would think I would be over that by now. I got took to the cleaners. I, I, I kept thinking, my dad would never allow something like this to happen, you know? Anyway, you know, I, I paid a fortune to, to go to the hotel, and I'm thinking, it's going to take us two hours to get there as much as I paid. Well, it took five minutes to get there. I mean, it's just right around the corner. <coughs> but we, we pulled into this, this really nice hotel, and the first thing I saw were not Filipino policemen. They were Filipino military, full body armor, fully automatic weapons, and there were not just two of them, there were like a dozen of them all over the grounds of this hotel. First, first thought was, oh, I'm going to be very well protected here. My second thought immediately was, why are they here? I mean, really, why are they here? And then, and then it dawned on me, you know what? I am a foreigner here. I'm an alien. I don't have citizenship in this country. And if Miss Angie doesn't behave herself, we could be in real trouble. First service laughed a whole lot louder than y'all did about that. But you know what? It's true. And God is reminding us, listen, if you are a believer of Jesus, your real home is in heaven. That's where your citizenship is. It's not on planet earth. And he gives a reason for us to understand this. He says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So there is a war going on for your soul. And those sinful desires are fed and fueled by the world. And we need to understand that this world is not our friend, nor is this world our home. We're just passing through. So that's who we are. This is our DNA. So the next time somebody asks you, who are you? You can tell them. Well, according to 1 Peter, I'm seven things. Here's my DNA. But understand this. Who we are has a direct influence on what we do. And so that's my second point, our activity. Our activity. What do we do? Now, we do what we do because of what we are. There's something different about the way we live our lives. And the people around us should take notice. So what do we do? Two things, real quick, two things and I close. Here's what we do. This is our activity. Number one, we talk the talk. We talk the talk. I'm going to go back up to verse 9. This is the key to this whole message. That you, that is you, that you believers may declare the praises of him, that is God, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The difference the Jesus DNA has made in our lives is the difference between night and day. He has called us out of darkness. And he has called us into the light of life. And because he has done that for us, we are to declare his praises. Man, 
Come on, somebody shout amen for me. What a great, he's taken us out of darkness. And now we live in light. Praise him. Praise him. I, I hate commercials. Do y'all? Anybody just love commercials? Do you watch a, a, a game just to see the commercials? I guess they're a necessary evil. I, I saw a commercial some time ago that was actually kind of a cartoon. I'm, I, it's one of those commercials at the end of it, I was shaking my head. What are they trying? What, what is this about? Yep. Don't you hate those? Yeah. I mean, at the end, you, you don't even know what they're selling, you know? Or advertising. Crazy, man. It, it, it was one of these commercial cartoons that when it was over, I sort of wondered, are they trying to indoctrinate me? It, it, they probably are, all right? That really happens, all right? The, the cartoon or the commercial involved two characters. One character represented the daytime, and one represented the nighttime. And the things that were associated with the daytime character were all happy and fun and, and just cool. And then the things associated with the nighttime character were all bad and negative. And, and you kind of got the impression, watching this 30-second commercial, that these two despised each other. But then as the cartoon went on, it seemed that they began to appreciate the good in each other. And they began to mix together because one was really not good and the other bad. They were both good. And, and I'm sure there was some veiled message about diversity and the importance of accepting people who are different than us. You know what? That's all well and good. And I believe that. Every, everybody is created equal. Everybody is one under God. I understand all that. But guys, listen to me. My point is this. When it comes to who we are... And when it comes to what we do, we must never forget there is a light that is light because God is light. And there is a darkness that is dark because sin is dark. And God has called us out of that darkness into the light. And listen, we should be so overwhelmed that it moves us to say something. And what do we say? We should declare his praises. The praises of the one who has called us out of darkness and into life. The word declare there means to do something with our voices. That is, we talk to others about God. We tell others how great God is. The word literally means to advertise. <laughs> that's pretty cool, isn't it? And that's what we are to do. We are to advertise God by the way we live and the things that we say. And because he has taken us out of sin and darkness and has established our life on a rock and has given us heaven as our home and has filled our life with the Holy Spirit, we should declare his praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, all the other messages I have preached so far talk about us giving praise to God. And that's where it starts. We give praise to God. But Peter is telling us that we are to praise the Lord to other people. We are to declare his praise to other people. So I am to take that praise that I give to God and tell other people, oh, you want to know about me? You want to know about my life? You want to know who I am? I'll tell you who I am. 
I am this, I'm just this dirty, rotten sinner, no good for nothing, on my way to hell person, and God saved me. God totally changed me. He transformed my life. Now my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. My home is heaven. And everything good that is about my life is due to him. Praise the Lord. We talk the talk. But we got to back the talk up. So number two, we walk the walk. Listen to verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that... Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God on the day that he visits us. So just a couple of instructions here in verse 12. Number one, he says, you are to live such good lives. This means that we live lives of integrity. It also has the idea of being beautiful or lovely. That, that's something. Not only is he talking about living a life of integrity, a good life, he's saying you do it in a beautiful way. I know a lot of Christians who, who live really strict lives and, and godly lives, but they, do, they don't do it in a loving way. In fact, they're kind of hateful about it. You know? Almost a little snobbish, thinking they're better than everybody else. It's not what he's saying. You live a life of integrity. In fact, it is a lifestyle that is totally above reproach, but you do it in a beautiful kind of way. I love the way New American Standard Bible translates that phrase. It says, keep your behavior excellent, above reproach. So before whom do we live such good lives? He tells us here, among the pagans, the unbelievers, the nations, can I tell you something? People are watching you. Especially if you say you're a Christian. All eyes are on you. They listen to the words that we say. They observe the way we do business. They watch the way we behave at work and at school and at ball games. And we live our lives among people who do not know God for the purpose that they may see God through the good deeds that we do and therefore glorify him. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify or praise your Father who is in heaven. I love what the great Scottish preacher of the 19th century, Alexander McLaren, once said. He said, the, the world takes its notions of God, most of all, from the people who say they belong to God's family. They read a, us a great deal more than they'll ever read the good book. <laughs> and how true that is. Now, he gives us the reason for doing this. He goes on in the verse to say, though they accuse you of doing wrong. In fact, in the day in which Peter wrote this, Christians were physically persecuted. The Roman emperor Nero burned Rome and he blamed it on the Christians. They were physically persecuted. They were accused of doing things they did not do. And then it talks about them giving glory to God on the day that he visits us. That's an interesting little phrase. What, what does that mean on the day he visits us? Well, it could be that Peter is referring to the coming day of judgment. 
when God is going to come and judge the world. And we know on that day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But the wording that is used here is not that wording. It's really not talking about his day of judgment. It's really talking about him coming and visiting us on the day of salvation. And literally the word has to do with the court system that was being used in Peter's day. The very court system where these believers were being drug into. The courts where they were being falsely accused of doing wrong. Well, when they got into court, they found there was no valid evidence. Why? They were living beautiful lives above reproach. And so even though they were falsely accused, there was no proof. And what happened? They had to give glory to God. The pagans had to give glory to God. This person is actually above reproach. That's interesting because it got me to thinking. If belonging to God were a crime, are you with me? If belonging to God were a crime, would there be enough evidence in a court of law to convict you of that crime? I mean, if who we are and what we do were a crime, would there be enough valid evidence for a jury to look at your life and say, yep, you're guilty? What if who we are, that is, people who belong to God, and what we do, living such good lives, were really a crime? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? It's kind of a sweaty moment, isn't it? Don't you hate moments like this where you get clammy and sweaty and thinking, "Uh, he, he might call my name out? You know? Well, I want it to be a clammy moment. Because you need to answer that question. That's the reality of it. So here, here, here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Just, just be real, man. If Jesus has saved you, allow that DNA to control you. Talk the talk. Talk the talk. I mean, he has brought you out of darkness and he has put you into the light. Declare his praise. Tell other people about him. And then back it up by walking the walk. Live the life, man. Live the life that brings honor and glory to God. Come on, man. Live for him. I, I, I told the first service, you know, some, sometimes the things that make preachers cringe are just, you know, I mean, ugh, gut-wrenching. For example, I, I don't know that it's ever happened here, but in, in, in other places I pastored. Y'all are supposed to laugh about that. I, I'll never forget in, in one town I pastored in, somebody came into my office and said, hey, is so-and-so a member of your church? <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to tell you what they're saying and what they're doing at work. And then they give me this long laundry list. Man, 
I don't like that because you know what that now I have to have a confrontation with somebody in my church but what I say to somebody in my church is this dude really come on man really if you're going to call and I said the name of the church Oak Park Free Will Baptist Church <laughs> your church then live the life walk the walk talk the talk because that's the only way God's going to get the glory you know it's when you're obedient. Uh, I was at an IM mission board meeting, and and a young missionary family came in, and and uh, they have got four little kids, and they're across, halfway across the world on a mission field, and and they told us this story about going every day to the park and walking through the marketplace, and and uh, after being there for a couple of years, this elderly lady stopped them one day, and said, listen, I've been watching y'all every single day. For the past year, I've been watching y'all go to the park, go to the store. And the lady said, I just want to compliment you, ma'am, on your four children. Those are the most obedient, well-behaved children I've ever seen in my life. Now, long story short, she invited this missionary couple over to her house, not even knowing they were missionaries, and she ended up going to their church. Okay? Isn't that cool? But, but here's the deal. You know, she really wasn't complimenting those kids. She was complimenting the parents. Are you following me? She was giving glory to the parents because of the obedience of the children. Therefore, when I am an obedient follower of Jesus Christ, when I am an obedient child of God, who gets the credit for that? God does. He gets the glory. And he is worthy of all praise. Whether that praise comes from Christians who are declaring his praise or from pagans who are declaring that he is a great God, he still gets the praise. And here's what I know. God inhabits the praise of his people.